always like this. It's always just the start that yeah, we, we struggle need, to. We just need to jump into it. Okay. Okay. And maybe turn Ooh, your yeah, phone yeah, yeah, on yeah, silent, yeah, yeah. please. Imagine we actually nailed that one and then... You ruined it. I wouldn't be surprised. Alright, we're ready to go. Hi guys, welcome back to Wildest Kruger Stories. I'm Craig. And I'm Carolina. And um, today we're going to be chatting to you guys a little bit about um, various ethics in the industry and the guiding industry as a whole. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, and we're jumping into a little bit more about photography and talking a little bit about photographic yeah. guiding, which we haven't really done yet, which is funny since I'm a photographer and we mm. run a photographic safari company. But yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about ethical photography and a few tips and tricks as well about how to get some good photos. Yeah, difficult guests and how, how you have to handle that because you get guests that are that, that put too. quite a lot of pressure on you both from a just a standard guiding game viewing point of view and from a photographic point of view. I think the pressure is more on with regards to the photographic point of view but um, it's yeah. still there. There's a lot of expectations from, sure. from photographic uh, guests and so on. But anyway, before we jump into that, what has been going on in our lives? What has been going We've been We've been busy. Um, yeah. Over the last couple of what's it been two weeks now? Mm -hmm. We got back from that that trip in Kruger, um, where we gave the full update of the ten days, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We enjoyed we enjoyed doing it. Um, and then you were only home for a few days before you got a last minute yeah, freelance days. call. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's the time of the year that it's going into. It's getting a bit busy, um, and late bookings are coming in. And uh, guides are needing to, or managers and owners are needing to, to get freelance guides. So I was called for a four-day stint, uh, or five-day stint, sorry, uh, in the Timbavati Nature Reserve, which is also part of the Greater Kruger. Uh, we have chatted about it before, uh, which is amazing. Really, really cool. You had some insane sightings. Yeah, I think the... I was quite jealous. Actually. Yeah, I know. it was. I was sitting at home, actually, working, I... and you... <laughs> Doing admin and getting stuff done and whatever, and you like sending me these videos of, of hyenas and wild dogs fighting each other, and I was like, "Are you joking?" Well, I think the uh, well, what was funny was obviously we um, Frank works there, a good friend Frank, of ours, yeah. and um, he 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 has always raved about that section of the Timbavati uh, that he works in as lion. Um, it's it haven. just yeah, Lion Haven is mm. a good word to describe it, and how how dominant the the that species is in the area, and how big the prides are. I mean, they've got the the giraffe pride of twenty five, they've got the Mayabula pride of twenty six, they've got the Birmingham breakaway males of six young or three four year old male lions that are coming in. So it's overrun with lions. You get the river pride coming in from the Klesiri every now and then. So so many. It took me eight game drives before I saw one lion. <laughs> Right? Hey, it just shows you actually, you know, so I was, I was, you know, you're never disappointed. You always, we had some insane leopard sightings and some say, insane leopard, uh, insane sightings as a whole. Um, but it just shows you and what, what's so amazing is uh, the, how the, everything can change, how nature can. But it's funny because it was actually similar on the 10 day trip that we just did in Kruger. Lions are funny like that, or any animal, yeah, anything in the bush is funny nature. like that, because lions is definitely the one cat that I feel like I can almost guarantee people yeah, that they, they will see Kruger, right? when they come to Kruger, yeah. because they're, it's not like they're everywhere, obviously, you still have to go looking for them, but it is the number one cat that we see the most, so that's why I feel like I can guarantee it, you know, but the funny thing is, like, both with our 10-day trip, well, I think we mentioned it that at first we didn't see lions and we actually saw more cheetah than we saw lions, mm. which was funny the first few days. And then it turned, but same. And then now you're saying the same thing. You were in a place that is supposed to be renowned, like, renowned for, for lions, lions and yeah. you didn't you didn't see them. It's just it just shows how funny the bush works sometimes. Yeah, I mean, well, to be honest, in that 10-day cricket trip, Lions was the last big cat we saw. Yeah, it was. <laughs> out, of it all, was. out of all three of them. Um, but yeah, going back to Timbavati, it was an incredible experience. I mean, um, I haven't spent too much time in that reserve for um, for quite a few years. And um, just the 
the ecosystem as a whole it's beautiful you can see this evidence of of so much going through there the breeding herds of buffalo are massive um and it was just we, it was just an unlucky time with regards to the lions we uh, 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 actually on one of the last morning drives we came across a pride of three females with five cubs from the Vuyela pride um north they actually come from the Klesiri and we caught them on the cut line and they just killed a zebra so that was very very nice worth uh, waiting for absolutely a beautiful uh, sighting and that that same morning um we uh, we barely had to leave the camp we picked up a pack of 20 dogs uh, just outside on on the airstrip itself on the lodge airstrip followed the dogs they grabbed an impala chased it into the the water hole in front of the lodge and um four hyenas came in and stole it from them and it was just manic the photos uh, you got are crazy yeah, cool yeah, they were well keep an eye on craig's social media and, and wildest kruger yeah uh, wildest kruger social media you'll be posting them soon <laughs> soon um but yeah actually just an amazing experience yeah, uh, i had a lot of fun like i said it was my first time at that specific property i and i worked with uh, a guide that i hadn't worked with since the first day i walked into the industry so it was it was a really cool blast from the past um jason he yeah 10 years ago when i started in northern sabi sands he was a guide then also kind of a mentor to me in the industry so it was nice to to almost be on the on a level playing field uh with him and work with him in the bush hand in hand once again um yeah it was very very cool yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and then after that we came to Joburg, where we are now, mm. because I am heading to Tanzania in Exciting only times. two days. I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm hosting a photographic safari, so that's really cool. I'm very excited. I think we're going to be talking more about that when I get back, because I do want to tell you guys all about it and mm. what we did and all that. But I am hosting it for four guests this time, and I actually have two dates. For next year so if someone is interested in joining for the next one uh, there is two dates planned for next year one in february and one in november next year so yeah very excited for that it's an incredible trip i must be honest like that the the where you go uh, in the serengeti i mean you're ticking off all of all of the the hot spots of that yeah. area or of tanzania of the ecosystems itself tanzania has so many absolutely but the, it is uh, the ones you're taking off are amazing. You only and have so much time on a trip and so much money, right? Yeah. So you can't do it all. No, but also, like, we are going to Serengeti for three nights, which is such an incredible ecosystem. Mm. And, yeah, I'm really... Especially for photography, because it's so open, it is really that, you know, Nat Geo, like, wild earth kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, that's the vibe because that's where actually a lot of it is filmed, a lot of those documentaries, because it is so open, it's easier to find animals uh, and easier to film them and so on and, and film their behavior. So it really is that classic Africa feel, you know, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I'm excited for you. And like you were jealous about me going to Timbavati, I'm a little bit jealous that I'm not going to yeah. the Serengeti. <laughs> but I suppose we can't win them all. Uh, I also actually just linked up with a company. Um, I am now officially the brand ambassador of Rhino Whiskies. Wonderful. Which is uh, going to be quite a cool journey, I think. Um, Rhino Whiskies, why I, why I reached out to them was they are quite closely connected to the Rhino Orphanage in Limpopo. I'm not allowed to uh, disclose the uh, the location as they don't advertise the location at all. Uh, just due to the rhino crisis we're in. But they basically, the rhino orphanage takes baby rhinos um, that have been abandoned or their mothers have been poached Mm. uh, because the species is in such dire need of help. Uh, They're taking the babies of the mothers that were poached and sending them to the orphanage. And uh, rhino whiskies gives 20% of everything that is sold or every bottle that is sold uh, to the Rhino Orphanage. So I think it's a really amazing initiative and um, something that I thought um, my social media, our company, um, could go quite hand-in-hand hand with and try try just help where we can 
with uh, rhino conservation as a whole. Yeah, so if anyone's interested, if anyone likes whiskey and is interested to, to grab a bottle, uh, just contact Craig and he'll sort you out. Yeah. It's very good whis- whiskey from what I understand. It's very, very I'm not good a whiskey, whiskey person myself, so... Yeah, soon. soon. <laughs> Um, it is it is a really good whiskey. It's not peaty at all. It's uh, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. And that's not just me marketing it. It's really good whiskey. I am as honest as the day is long. I would not push something that <laughs> is not not. So to go jump into the topic of of the podcast of the episode, we are talking a little bit about photographic guiding and and guiding ethics and so on. But my scenario for that for you, Craig, okay, that's what I wanted to start with. Yeah, to jump into this, my scenario for you today is a this or that. You get to choose a this or that. So. I know that you are getting more and more into your photography mm-hmm. and you are loving it and you, you're really enjoying it. But something that you also enjoy a lot is driving. And when we were in Kruger, you, you want to drive. I always want to drive. I barely yeah. ever get to drive. But you at the take same photos. Time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, still. You love driving. Yeah, <laughs> you really enjoy it. I actually want to tell Kruger. the story before you get onto your story. Can I just tell a quick story about you? to the listeners about the one time I let you drive, which was actually hilarious. So we were in, um, we may have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but uh, the funny part of the side, we woke up one morning, Caroline said, I want to drive. So I was like, okay, cool, you can drive. And we drove, we were staying at Timboti and we drove the open road from open camp to basically the gate. So one and of the we, anti-poaching guys told yeah, us that the lions were there. A big pride of lions. And we, I, I, we immediately clicked. We were like, must be the Birmingham pride. And um, that's the pride with the white lions. And guess what was on the road? These lions. And now Carolina had to navigate through the traffic and try to take photos of the white lion. And I was just sitting in the back with my coffee and my camera having a really good time. So that's the thing with driving. As great as it is and why I wanted to drive is because we sometimes fight about stopping at certain things and all that. So... Well, that's why I wanted to drive to be able to decide myself. But the thing with driving is it's difficult to drive and maneuver a camera at the same time. For sure. It is really, really tricky, especially in a sighting like that where there's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of cars you have to take in consideration and it's a big pride of lines. So there's like lines everywhere and you obviously don't want to drive over one. So you need to be very concentrated. That has almost happened to us. And we saw that there was cars that oh, were struggling yeah, yeah, to get yeah, yeah, around, yeah, yeah. get around, yeah, the lions. Anyway, obviously no lions were hurt. No <laughs> like lions no lions were hurt. Guys. But but uh, the cars get very close. Anyway, um, so my question to you, because you mentioned the other day when we had a wild dog sighting, mm. you were like, I barely ever get to take photos of wild dogs because they're such quick moving animals. So it's really difficult to be driving and taking photos of yeah. them at the same time because that's definitely a sighting where you need to be concentrating on driving. Yeah, you need to be photos. ready. Anyway, so my question, no, sorry, I'm, I'm prolonging this question a lot, but I'm trying to explain where, the I'm, scenario. Coming, where I'm coming at. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is also, Craig, you as a guide is very, very good at vehicle positioning. Thank you. No, you are. Thank a lot you. of my photos are because of you and the positioning of the vehicle. And we sometimes go with other guides and we get frustrated with the vehicle positioning because they might not, they don't have the same photography mindset, mm. which is fine. Um, but from a photography point of view, it can be frustrating. So my question to you is, would you rather drive yourself and know that you'll get the vehicle positioning all good and whatever and try to take photos, but yeah. know that you might risk the sh- like take, getting the shot and not be able to take photos because you need to concentrate on driving. Or would you want to go with, with a guide and be a passenger taking only concentrating on taking photos, but the guide is not good at vehicle positioning, so the positioning won't be good? I think me driving, uh, definitely. Even... Even I know I'm sacrificing um, the 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 shot that we may get. I think from my side, it's all about learning for me. Um, and I'm a big believer and very passionate about predictive guiding 
from a guiding point of view, you can predict what that animal's going to do. Uh, not, it's not foolproof, don't get me wrong. Everybody knows this, I think. Um, but it, you can take an educated guess at where this animal's going to move and what that animal's going to do. And position yourself in the right place. And use that as a learning curve. As you go, you, you kind of say... I did it with. I think I did it with the cheetah mm. in uh, Kruger. We had those three male cheetah mm. um, a, a while ago on that ten day trip. And it was the, quite fantastic because you you said, I think they, they it's three three males. They on the move, and you saw this big tree, and you know from experience that they often mark territory on a big tree, and you drove up to this big tree, and we were ahead of the cheetah, so we weren't you know. We're missing the shots of them walking next to the car, but we got up to the big tree and they walked straight up to the big tree and we were in a perfect spot for photos of them marking. Yeah, um, it was something that I've seen before um, and there were no big trees in, in, in the distance or in that vicinity besides that one, even though it was 200 meters away. Mm. Um, and um, that for me was, I took a risk because we left visual, of, we left the best visual of that point in time at the sighting to go to that big tree because there was a nice gap and you'd get all three of them walking, putting their tails up, marking territory and smelling. Mm. And it was right next to the road. So we took a risk, but it did pay off. There have been times in my guiding career where it's gone the other way. Yeah. Um, but that's learning. It, it's, it's all about just learning and taking it on the chin if you're wrong and being like, well, sorry guys. It is what it is. Mm. But that's why, to answer your question, I would prefer to drive from a learning point of view because mm. I want to learn more about the movements and vehicle positioning with a photographic guests. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from, from what I've noticed as well is you take big pleasure in your guests or your passengers also, like them getting the shot. Uh, yeah. When you, when you are with, when we, by ourselves, for example, privately, and you ask me, did you get the shot and you've positioned in the perfect spot? And I say, yes. And I show you, I know you get super excited and super happy. And same thing I've seen you do with, with guests and you ask them, did you get the shot? You know, that was an awesome sighting. How, how did your photos turn out? And they show you and you get so excited because you know, you helped getting that shot. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a sense of accomplishment for me. I mean, this is like, it, it's guiding is my passion mm. uh, it's where my passion really does lie and also I'm a, second I, well people pleasing as well <laughs> to an extent you know um, don't be rude and obnoxious because then I might put you into a tree uh, I'm kidding I don't do that there's, there's, there's a level of professionalism from my work but um, you know it, it is I am very passionate about um how seriously I take my job, whether I'm driving someone that is just keen on game viewing, I still want to get them into the best spot. Mm. They're going to be taking pictures with an iPhone. Um, but it, it it's all about, and well, go back to lion sightings where we actually said like, obviously the lions get so relaxed. They're actually the easiest of the lot, I think in my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, because they get so, they're so relaxed with vehicles. Um, and we mentioned like, you know, it's, some people nearly drive them over, but it, it's not its not anyone's fault. When you've got a big pride of lions, you just need to be extra alert around your vehicle because the lions literally will lie next to your tire. Mm. Um, and often I find in Kruger, I'm, I'm derailing a bit, but I found in Kruger that a lot of people actually help each other out. So they say, yeah. oh, whoa, whoa, just, just watch out, the lion's there. But mm. going back to the photo photography point of view, um, it, it lions are probably the easiest animal because they just plonk down wherever they want. Leopard, I think, is very tricky, mm. um, and that's where I want experience and I want, and that's the animal that I try to learn the mm. most of the movement. Cheetahs are also a good example um, to to try follow. Dogs, yes, dogs are difficult. <laughs> it's impossible, actually. Dogs are. <laughs> the thing is also, you know, in Kruger, when you when they are on the road and they're mobile. If you're not ahead of them, you, you're not going to get ahead of them. And from a photography point of view, you want to be mm -hmm. ahead of them to get them head on. Uh, and that's like, but dogs also, even if you're in the perfect spot, they move so flipping quick that it is very difficult to yeah. get the shots. And you need to just 
you almost just need to kind of shoot away and and hope, hope for, for the, the best. best yeah you obviously you obviously try to comp- like compose the photos correctly and all of that but but it's they they fast and they disappear before you know it and it's yeah i think you know dogs is kind of that they're one of those animals that stay quite inactive for the day when it's hot mm. but then when they're up they're up so and they run they and they walk. run but i think the what i like to time from a guide's point of view is wait there till they start to get active because the bonding is incredible mm. you've mentioned you've never seen that before for me it, mm. I, i've seen it quite a bit when they're all when they all stand up as it starts to cool down just before they they start moving they all bond with each other and they run around and they jump on each other and uh, it's it's just kind of declaring that bond as a as a pack that they have and that's incredible so from me guiding photographers i know that's the time you want to sit with them you want to mm. sit with them because the the interactive shots you can get of dogs yeah during that time period in the afternoon mm. just before they wake up that is probably some of the and usually at that time the light's really good yeah um obviously you can't predict stuff like that you take an educated guess that the light might be good at that time yeah exactly but to jump into we've been derailing a little bit now from the yeah. scenario but we are moving into to more of the photographic guiding and, and taking photos of animals and so on so we're going to talk a little about ethics and i think it kind of goes hand in hand yeah uh, for if ethical guiding and ethical photography especially the type of photog- wildlife photography that we do in kruger and in south, mm-hmm. south africa so i know for people who live in europe and in the states it's a little bit different because I know there is a lot more approaching on foot and a lot more of sitting in hides and those kind of things. So it's a little bit different. While in South Africa, 99% of the time you are in a vehicle. So it's, it's and that's where it goes hand in hand with the guiding of obviously the person who's yeah. driving the car. But we wanna, that's, that's what we wanna talk about this episode about ethical guiding and ethical mm. photography. So I think uh, what I just wanna kind of, talk about before that is the difference between guiding and photographic guiding um is just because I, I got the question from guests they're like oh well I, I explained my business recently to two guests and they asked well what does carolina do she's like she's i was like she's the photographic guard and i was like oh what do you do oh, i'm the guard like, okay what's the difference and I was like, <laughs> so um i had to go and explain that the photographic guide is generally a guide that left hand seats um am i right carolina do you want to explain yeah, so either left-hand seats, so basically, uh, for those who don't know, in South Africa, yeah. you sit on the right-hand side <laughs> when you're driving, right, yes. because it's left-hand left, left side hand driving. Anyway, so you could either sit uh, next to the guide in front. The passenger. They and be the passenger, the passenger. Yeah. Not, yeah. And be the pas- passenger, and in that way, be able to communicate with the guide quite a lot on, on vehicle positioning and so on. But preferably, I would say a photographic guide should be sitting in the back, at behind the guests because then it's easier to help with settings and composition and help the guests get the best shots because that's what a photographic guide does so now that i'm going to tanzania for example uh, the whole point of me being there is to help my guests get the best shots possible because obviously i've got the knowledge of photography and so on and and some of them are already quite uh, you know they they're already quite good photographers and they know photography but being in a new ecosystem can be difficult and tricky and that's where i'll help with you know think about this with this specific animal and uh, predicting mo- movements which the guide will probably do as mm. well but it, it works hand in hand and i'll help my guests get the best shots possible so when i'm guiding photographically i'm not focused on taking photos myself i will basically just put down my camera and then if we have a static sighting where there's time for me to take photos and i've already done everything i can for my guests you know then i'll take some photos but most of the time i'll be focused on helping my guests and that's where it's better to be in the back of the vehicle where i can just quickly ask to see their screen or see you know what settings they're on or they can ask me questions much easier easier to show my me the camera and and so on and i'll help much easier for me to help than sitting in the front mm-hmm. but it kind of depends also how many people you've got and and uh, and what the situation it's is like in general specific, yeah of course while guiding guiding is a yeah, it's a complete. That's purely 
jet driving. So there's two different types of guiding. You can private guide and go to a lodge and also be the passenger where you will sit next to the guide um, and you will then communicate to your guests and the guide at the lodge is kind of just driving. Uh, driving. Uh, I I know some private guides are like, oh, you, you're you, they my guests. You must keep quiet. I'm not that guy. I don't. If I have to passenger guide, I if if the guide can add value onto uh, a, an experience for my guests, please do so. I'm not that pompous. Um, but then usually if you private guide, it's usually yeah. because the guests have a relationship with you yeah. and they want you to br- to be with them during the whole stay instead of jumping between different guides and yeah. so on. And that's, and that's where you, you add that, va- like you add value because it's you and then they trust your knowledge and so on. But then obviously the guide at the lodge will still. Exactly. And, and that, so that's the thing is I would generally have the usual information that I will talk about, but I would want the guide that's, the guide on the property to kind of fill my guests in about dynamics, information, you know, like the, the animals itself on location, the reserve location, location because specific. I wouldn't know what's, what's happening from a dynamics. Maybe there's a, a, a territorial takeover of a private, uh, private lions that I don't know about. And he, I would want him to, to add value uh, okay. to this experience or her, uh, or her. sorry about that. <laughs> Or her. But uh, you're jumping um, into private guiding, which I feel yeah. is, is way too complicated. It's, it's a bit more, of another branch, isn't it's it? It's more complicated. So maybe explain what guiding So guiding is, is lodge guiding is you get guests that get onto your vehicle and you drive them around and you guide them through their two, three or four days uh, in the bush. But you're driving and um, you are explaining, well, you are giving them uh, a wildlife experience mm. uh, in the bush and you are talking to them about all sorts of knowledge not not only if photography yes but not advanced photography so that's the thing you you can mostly guiding will be focused on more information about the animals l- teaching your guests about yeah. the ecosystem mammals so animal on, behavior birds everything insects. and you know all of those kind of things and guiding your guests who aren't necessarily photographers mm. But if you have photographers, you can also do a photo air focused photography um, guiding where you position your vehicle a little bit different because that's the thing. There's also a bit of a difference there of, of how you view the animal if For you sure. have photographers or if you have just viewing uh, game viewing guests. And then you will probably be more focused, like as you say as well, you might not teach advanced photography, but you can help out where you can and so on. And uh, you'll be more focused on maybe this is what the animal is going to do next. Be ready with the camera now because it's yawning. It might get up soon or whatever Whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, those are signs you look for. That's actually a very good example, Caroline, is the yawning. Mm. Um, you know, cats, for example, they, before they yawn, they'll lick their lips a couple of times. They'll, they'll lick and then it's, it's a good sign to say, hey, guys, get your camera ready. He might yawn or it might yawn or she might yawn, whatever the mm. case may be. And there are those little signs. Whether that's a photographer or not, it's just, it's predictive guiding and it just helps um, with the with the viewing and so on and, yeah and where i say Good you guess. will position your vehicle differently for game viewing mm. guests and photographic guests is for example let's say you have a lion walking down the road uh, for photographers you want to be in front of that animal you want it walking towards you or next to you like and usually not right next to the vehicle because you can't take a photo of that you know when you are five yeah it's closer is not always better like one meter away from the thing no from a photographic point of view closer is not always better but from a game viewing point of view it is an incredible experience to be driving right next to a lion or a lion walking past your vehicle just a few a few like one meter away or a few centimeters away or whatever like sometimes it feels like they brush your vehicle when they walk past and that's from a game viewing point of view is phenomenal and it's incredible experience but from a photographer, it might be a little bit frustrating because it's too close and you actually can't get a photo of it. Oh, I suppose, you know, it's, it's just from a photo- you know better than I do, but from a photography point of view, I mean, you know, often the equipment that most photographers have, it's designed to see it not a fair, not a far distance away, but a, a distance um, away. I mean, if you've got a lion lying right next to you, all you can do is take an eyeball shot, you yeah. know. And your average guest, if you're just being a guide, having a cell phone with the lion 
next to the car is fine or the animal next to the car is fine but for a photographer it doesn't always work yeah and also for a guest it's, it's just an incredible experience to be able to to be so close to an animal yeah. you know and i think from a photographer's point of view in in a vehicle as well you're always a little bit elevated so mm. you're kind of looking down to on the animal if you're too close so then rather get a bit of distance so you can get more of an eye level kind of uh, feel with uh, us chatting about uh, how close we're getting to animals, uh, with them being comfortable, I suppose it links on to what we're, <laughs> what we're talking about this episode, which is industry ethics or main, the main focus is guiding ethics. And uh, that's, a, that's a good place to start. From a guide, um, you, know, you, you always need to go as close as that animal wants you to go. And you know, on a number of occasions, even myself in uh, younger, uh, my younger years, um, I was generally not knowing the boundary and you'd get to where there was a leopard, leopard be lying 20 meters off, you'd go off road and suddenly you would get three meters off road, the leopard would run away. Why must we off road? Mm. Let the animal relax. Let it, it's happy where we were on the road. And, um, yes, you can go and easy say, oh, we made a mistake. And it, it's something small for me. It's nothing that you're going to get a written warning with a, at a lodge as a guide, but it's, you want that animal to feel completely comfortable with you. So I think, you know, viewing that animal from the road is, is that's, that's that safe space that it was. And we went a little bit too close. But I think the big thing with, with viewing animals and, and getting closer to animals and how to do it ethically, because, because that's what the episode is about. Yeah. Uh, there's a big, the biggest part of it is being able to read the animal's behavior and, go on that behavior and you know if we elephants is a really good example mm. they they i find them quite quite easy to read as well because they're big and they show you if they're not very yeah, happy they do. but and that's the thing you you whenever i approach elephants i'll keep very very close close eye on what what the behavior is and what it's doing is it comfortable with me getting closer i'm rolling forward slowly is it just feeding because a, fe a feeding elephant's a happy elephant is it just feeding and doesn't really isn't really bothered by me okay great then i can keep going and slowly pass it or whatever or is it you know shaking its head looking up on me f f showing discomfort okay then i'm gonna stop here until it calms down or until it has time to move away from me because it's obviously not happy with me here or whatever it is or m if it wants to move closer you let it come often the the rule of, rule of thumb is letting the animal come to you yeah. because it's obviously comfortable with you if it comes walking towards you no definitely and i think that's that's a big thing with the ethics and a lot of reserves talk about leopard as i going back to leopard and leopards that aren't relaxed in the reserve ah oh, this reserve doesn't i have so many guides especially now that i'm doing a lot more freelance a lot of guides say oh we don't have a lot we don't have relaxed leopards why mm. and that's my first question is why don't you have yeah they skittish they run away because you why because you see spots and you off-road immediately mm. sit switch off the car see the animal's behavior just watch it mm. even if it is a 10 second sighting and you can see the animals moving away. The first sign you off-road, you see this thing start running away. Don't keep chasing it. No. And that's that's an issue I have because I'm very passionate about leopards. And again, I go back to, I did the same thing when I was younger. It took me time to learn that. But I think leadership should be should be showing those those rules and regulations need to be seriously put in place because and you will have. You will have relaxed leopards if you can do that. But again, this the ethics the ethics chat is not only about leopard behavior. Also, so from a guiding point of view, uh, we also do in the private sectors of Kruger National Park, we do a lot of tracking. We've spoken about it on multiple occasions where we're getting off the vehicle and tracking the footprints uh, of these animals to try potentially locate them. And um, that's always a tricky one from an ethical point of view because how close do we get? We can get a lot closer... Um, can we get closer? How, when do you draw the line? So, for example, let's throw a scenario in there where you've got a female lion um, and you're tracking well, a pride of lions and suddenly you see tiny, tiny cub tracks. Immediately stop tracking. There are places where they don't do that and that's not okay. That unethical would be going forward and 
keep tracking a female lion with three four week old cubs on foot you know she's going to be aggressive if a guide has a rifle you potentially going to endanger both yourself your tracker and that animal's life so rather go guests i've i've had to do it before and guests are very appreciative say guys this cubs are tiny we can't we can't get in there it would be unethical for us to do that and nine times out of ten guests are like absolutely we prefer you to do the right thing i think from a guiding point of view um we always i've always told my guests you as a guest leave these animals stay these animals are here forever and they create uh, if they if they're not relaxed people aren't going to have the best game viewing experience when they get here these are just a few examples of um, why uh, guides will push the limits and how they'll push the limits. And the main reason is because they feel that they'll get a bigger tip at the end of the day. And yeah. A big motivator as well in something that's, that's spoken a lot about in the, in the photography community is obviously photos is a big motivator for people to do unethical stuff, stupid stuff dangerous stuff and that's not only with wildlife photography it's a lot of we all have heard about social media and you know yeah and how that's creating this mass like almost like psychosis where can you say does it, is it yeah that? where people just do all these stupid things without thinking because it like they want to go viral on social yeah. media and yeah, there's a saying actually that selfies kill more people <laughs> every it's year true, than though. what sharks do. <laughs> so, and that's that's just and it's the same with with wildlife photography and photographic guests, photographic guides. We see it and we hear about it a lot. And it's very unfortunate how a lot of people push limits to get the shot, and they put the animal's comfort and life actually sometimes secondary to them getting a specific photo and them getting a specific shot and it's creating something we have seen is create it's creating a big hatred towards photographic guides in the industry which is such a shame because i do think photography has a big part of conservation and you know and it needs to work hand in hand but i understand why people feel that way because we hear all these horror stories of people pushing the limits and and it's not right. Well, in my my opinion, I think uh, photographers is what gets. You can you can tell someone a thousand words. You can write people what what conservationists do, but people respond to to pictures or videos, mm. and that's what videographers and photographers do. And um, in the conservation, exactly. Thing, you mean. That's 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 yeah. your role is creating that awareness. And that's um, why you need through to work, imagery. Yeah, and that's why you need to work hand in hand with conservationists and so on to do respectful photography where you let the animal come to you and that's mm. how you get the close up photo. Even if you do, if that you don't end up getting the shot at the end of the day, no, you know? No, exactly. And you need to be patient to wait for this animal to lift its head up and you don't play calls or try to like bang your vehicle to try to get a reaction or whistle yeah yeah. and those are just small things like those are small things that can seem quite harmless and i don't i don't think it affects the animal that much but it's still just let the animal be don't bother it don't irritate the thing just so you can get a shot of its head up because you're too lazy to wait you know that's those are those are small examples and then it comes to the big examples of you know getting too close to animals or even uh, baiting animals, uh, riling them up to try to get them to show aggression, you know, those kind of things. And that's very bad. And that can actually create a very bad domino effect that can affect the animal in long term. You mentioned baiting there, Carolina. Uh, just Just a little touch on that. I mean, to tell people what baiting is, it's to bring that animal there because you have a group of photographers um, on that specific day, you shoot an impala, for example, and you bring it to a specific site in order for you just to get photos. Mm. There's no conservation gain there whatsoever. It's in order for the photographers to get their shot of that leopard in the tree with the impala. And there's actually, you know, stories about people doing that, not only from a photography point of view. There's mm. the story of, of a guy, I think it was in the Kruger area. He would 
bring a piece of, of meat and he would, you know, throw it from his car. The, this leopard came closer and then he did it the next day with the next guests and the leopard came closer and closer and eventually he did this over a long time. Eventually he threw the meat onto the vehicle and the leopard would jump on top of the bonnet and f eat this piece of meat in front of everybody. And the one day when he did that, someone coughed or moved a bit too quickly or did something in the back of the vehicle that scared the leopard and the leopard took its paw and scratched him over his face and then ran away. And those injuries that he had from that was detrimental. Pretty severe. Severe yeah. injuries. And and that's the kind of stuff that happens, obviously, like, even if nobody, no, no humans get hurt at the end of the day, it is still wrong to do it. But it's just an example of how pushing the limits can end very, very badly. No, absolutely. I think um, in that in that regard, it's it's completely and utterly. And I heard the same story. I think I, it was when I was doing my first aid course. Actually, maybe it was the same for you. Uh, we heard that yeah. story because we were learning about learning about injuries and um, how not to push animals. Uh, and we were learning in the first aid course on how to handle these situations and why we should be ethical. Exactly. I think for what the big thing that we were learning as well, with, we heard a lot of these stories from our first aid course uh, because our instructor really wanted to teach us and show us how dangerous these animals can be and how we need to be respectful of them. It's so easy to get placent, complacent. Mm. Comfortable with your comfortable surroundings. with animals, and they do the same thing over and over again. And you know this animal because you see it every day, and so on, and so on. But you never know what that animal's experienced mm. that morning, where it might its behavior might be different from yesterday. You know, with elephants, for example, people, some guides will just drive straight into a herd and be like, "Yeah, but I know these elephants; they chill, it's fine." You know, and but they you... just get a little bit annoyed and then they move on and whatever. But you never know if those elephants have run into a pride of lions that morning and are very nervous, and you coming along, or or another guide have pushed them to their limits with a vehicle, and they are not liking vehicles, and they might, you know, come at you, which or, they usually or don't. They've had to be, ch or they've had to be chased out of camp or something with a vehicle and they have mm. that they have this negative association with a vehicle for that specific point in time and that's where that's where things can go really really badly and i think the worst thing for guides photographic guides no matter what the case may be is complacency mm. um you know often i see or don't see but i hear of photographic guides getting off the car not it maybe they're in a camp and walking mm. to see buffalo bulls for example that are just at the waterhole and buffalo bulls look like cows don't they i mean they sit there and they chew their cud and they're actually one of the most dangerous animals out here but they look like a big cow yeah. and i've heard of multiple occasions where photographers have tried to get close and down low to take photos of them and it's very very unethical from a photographic point Indeed. of view and dangerous super dangerous talking about animals on foot and in a camp um because we're talking a lot about vehicles and mm. ethical guiding with vehicles and not chasing animals with vehicles and so on. But I did want to talk a little bit about because when we are in different reserves in the lodges and in Kruger and so on, and when we used to work at the reserves, a lot of my photography took place in the camp because a lot of these camps have what's called elephant fences. I think we've mentioned it before, where it's basically just two strands very high up, which just keeps elephants away from the camp because they just make such a mess and they're also quite dangerous to get into mm. the camps. But other animals can come into the camps. So often you won't, you're not allowed to walk at night by yourself around the camps and so on. But we would often get Niala, even Impala, different antelopes walking around the camps, kudu sometimes. And obviously then you have your squirrels and owls and other birds around camp because you are in the middle of a national park. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would have honey badger around sometimes and at night and so on. And I would often photograph these animals because I wasn't out on game drive that much and so on. And to practice my photography, if I had an afternoon off, I would photograph the squirrels and so on. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the ethical like photography on foot and, and in a camp like that. And also a bit of a, a funny but very good trick on how to actually approach animals uh, on foot. Like things like impala and, and, uh, and other antelopes. Because 
a lot of these animals who come into camps are usually quite used to people on foot uh, so you can get quite close to them because they live around the camp so they see animals uh, see sorry see people all the time and they they like don't really see you as, as a threat and run away where when you a few meters away or whatever yeah so so they already quite used to you and often you will notice you can get quite close to them or walk and they they won't really be bothered by you and they just keep on eating and uh, again that's where you know you watch them and you watch their behavior and if they are eating you obviously know they relax and you know you can try to get a little bit closer but if they were looking at you yeah maybe just stop and wait a little bit and let them see what you are and not scare them too much just to be ethical and uh, but a tip that i have <laughs> to get close or to to be able to photograph these animals and i'm sure this could work with like and other animals that you might be photographing in in like europe and stuff yeah, something that I have noticed and someone once told me that has worked for me is if you're looking down on the ground and you're not looking straight at the animal because that's what a predator does. That a predator will look straight at an animal and try to crawl closer. So if you try to crawl close to this animal, it's probably going to be a little bit scared because you kind of look like a leopard or a lion trying to stalk it and it's, you know, it's instincts are going to kick in and it's going to run away. But what I usually do is I'll look down on the ground and I'll walk in like little circles and little like swirly random paths. Does it work? It does. It <laughs> does. Someone told me you need to mimic the movement of like an impala or an antelope That's feeding. That's feeding. Yeah, it makes sense actually. Because then they see you as an equal of like, okay, but you're also an impala feeding or whatever. Uh, so you're not you're not a leopard stalking me. So, you know, you're also just feeding around, so I don't really need to be bothered by you. But if you're staring at this thing and you are crawling towards it, it's going to think it's, you're hunting it. Yeah, I think you're, you're there. I, I think <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's crazy, though. But it's it actually. But that's that's so much about animal behavior, isn't it? Yeah. It's like it's actually so logical. Yeah. But it takes us years to figure this stuff out, you know, yeah. but it's actually just. It's it, once you once you've ha once you figured that out, you're like, how did I how did I not just think of this before? And you look a bit stupid doing it because people <laughs> look at you and they're like, what are you doing? You're walking in circles and you're like trying to look like you're feeding or whatever. But but it works. Like obviously you can't come close and like touch it or whatever. You should never no, touch any should wild never do animals. That. You should never touch any wild animals. But you can come within a couple of meters of this animal and it. It might, like it depends on how used it is to humans as well, but I've noticed that it's less bothered by you, and it usually just continues feeding and doesn't really mind you being there because because it thinks you're the same. It's you're just chilling as well. I think each you you mentioned a little bit there about uh, getting closer to animals and how some pe some cl animals will let you get closer. Every single animal has their own safe space. They have their own comfort, a zone. comfort zone, and um, some are closer than others. And it can be animals of the exact same species. It can just be one specific individual has been exposed to humans in a lodge a lot more than another individual. So you can potentially get a lot closer, but you can read you can read that animal's behavior and see what that animal is relaxed with and what it's not relaxed with. And then it is important from there not to push that boundary mm. um, of the... And it's not only antelope, it's it's leopards in a vehicle, it's lions, it's whatever, the, elephants, everything. Every animal, even in the States, deer, bears, whatever the case may be, they've all got their own comfort zone and I just would like to encourage everyone, don't push those comfort zones. Because to get back to uh, what we were talking about, the lions, very earlier on in the episode, because we were mentioning how people were almost driving over them. And those were lions in the Kruger National, the National Park, Park who hang around these roads a lot. And they grow up seeing vehicles and they see a lot of vehicles because a lot of people come into Kruger National Park. So they are very, very relaxed with vehicles. And that's why they basically weren't moving when people were trying to get past and they wouldn't move. And that's how, like people that's why we joking and saying people almost drove over them they obviously didn't almost drive over them but they were trying to get past and these lions wouldn't move because they just like don't care they don't about care the they block the whole road but they they feel like they own the road but in wilder areas where we've been and where we've worked and so on you might see a lion 50 meters away and it will run 
yeah. as soon as it, or you won't even see it because it will run as soon as it hears your vehicle a kilometer away because it doesn't know it's not a, it hasn't been exposed to vehicles and doesn't know what that is and isn't mm. comfortable with that so it, it all depends on the different areas and that's why you know we talk about the sobby sands a lot and i know you often talk about how leopards there have been have gotten so relaxed to vehicles because of of the ethical guiding yeah. and, and getting them comfortable with the vehicles and not chasing them and getting them scared of vehicles that they actually use the vehicles for hunting hiding behind them and crawling yeah. under them to hunt in Palo and it's side. actually that that is it, it's becoming a bit of a challenge in some areas because that shouldn't happen no um often you'll find that leopards will yeah they just Animals are so clever. They'll start the vehicle and the leopard will start getting closer to the impala because it knows the impala can't hear the leopard moving. So it's become, it's, it can become a little bit difficult to manage. Mm. Um, but yeah. A, as you say, there's a balance there, there as There is well a balance. Of and how it's a fine line. Very fine line of how comfortable these animals should be to, to us. But for example, with um, the habituation of leopards in the Sabi Sands, and how they've got their their ethics right to a certain extent um, is the process of where they are with cubs and how old they are when they're exposed. And yes, it's unethical to approach them when they're so small. So we don't approach them. We close the den site and so on and so forth. More on that in our uh, the habituation episode that mm. we had a couple couple months ago. But it's an important point that you're saying there For of, sure. of you know being respectful of the animal when they're young because if you if you get in there too too soon and try to view this animal too soon when it's too small it will be traumatized for life and never going to want to be never seen. be relaxed it can have the most relaxed mother in the world but the cub will not be relaxed with vehicles because it had a really bad experience at a very young age mm. yeah so i think to wrap it up i think all we're trying to say i feel like we've been repeating ourselves a lot quite and a lot like this episode gone a bit of circles but i hope you guys still have enjoyed it but i think what we're trying to say and to wrap it up mm. is that it's, it's all about reading the animal's behavior letting the animal decide what is yeah. close enough and what's not close what's too close and respect that it no photo no experience no viewing nothing is worth risking an animal's comfort and pushing pushing beyond that comfort zone i couldn't agree more and same from a guiding point of view um i think from a guiding point of view just remember that your guests leave at the end of the day uh, after their three-day experience and um the animals are here to stay you know look after them because they at the at the end of the day are generally what is creating the money for you to get your salary at the end of the day yeah, I think uh, that's it for us. Do you have yeah. a scenario for me? I don't have a scenario for you. We'll have to. We'll have to. You're lacking creativity. I'm lacking. I'm lacking. I don't. I'm lacking either. creativity, guys. I'm so sorry. If I've... people have funny scenarios, if, message yes. Craig. Yeah, message me. Message me. Um, I will have one next time. I promise. I will have two. Actually, how's that? Setting myself up nice and high. I will have two scenarios. Okay, so the next episode, you're doing two scenarios. So I don't need a scenario. You don't need, to, you don't need to have a scenario. Great, because I'm going to be a bit busy now in Tanzania. So I don't you are going to be busy I don't, in Tanzania. I want to have to think about scenarios. <laughs> but no, next episode, we'll be talking a lot about what my Tanzania uh, trip, workshop, yeah. what it was like and what we saw. And, and, and maybe a little bit about how Tanzania and Serengeti differs from Kruger. I think that can be interesting. Mm, yeah, I think that'll be a cool topic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that, guys. And until then, take care. Cheers, guys.